0: We are going to be in deuteronomy 6 Uh, so if you have your bibles deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we'll spend our time this morning Um, if you guys are new with us several of you are new my name is steve uh, one of the pastors along with lauren who started the service Uh, We had the privilege of being pastors at the church and this is a cool Sunday for us if you came in late This is called family Sunday. Uh, It's our first ever family Sunday. So especially there in the back We got lots of youngsters I think we might have a bunch of youngsters watching online with their parents as well They heard family Sunday, and they thought well we could do family Sunday at home just as well But we're excited for all the kids to be in here and I'd like to say right up front like kids make noise and that's okay, right? It also means that for you as adults, like you can make some noise today. We might think it's your kids, so it's all right for you to make a little noise. You can fall asleep if you need to, and it'll be totally fine. Uh, we're just going to have a good time together this morning. So I thought with all the families together, I want to talk about family discipleship and what that means from God's Word. But to get us kicked off, let's, let's think about that great institution of family fun and memories, that great institution called the Family Road Trip. How many of you have been on a family road trip and are willing to admit it? How many of you have ever lost your mind on a family road trip? Amen, right? Some kids are raising their hands. There's repentance going on from some dads. I appreciate it. We're off to a good start. We all know that family road trips contain three things. They contain the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So when I was a kid, I don't remember how old I was, but before I was a teenager, my parents, I uh, grew up in the state of Delaware on the East Coast, And so we were going to drive in our 1980-something, because it was the 80s. We were going to drive in our uh, Plymouth Reliant station wagon before the days of air conditioning, before the days of SUVs, before the days of like the the DVD players in the back of each seat and the headphones for the kids and the headphones for the parents. Before any of that, we're going to drive from Milford, Delaware to Orlando, Florida. Because what's in Orlando, Florida? No, the promised land the promised land for every kid and that day Now I might get in trouble for saying this today but in the 80s the promised land was in Orlando Florida there was Disney World there was Epcot and there was SeaWorld and we were gonna visit all three of them but we were gonna drive there and my parents were paying for this whole thing by listening to timeshares along the way you remember how this used to work right everybody's like oh if you sit for six hours and listen to a timeshare we'll give you a free night stay in this hotel and that's how they're gonna pay for the whole thing. So we set off in the station wagon. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have like, handheld games and stuff like that. Me and my brother, he's three years younger than me, and, and we're gonna drive. And this was before the days, by the way, of mandatory seat belts. So we took turns. He would lay across the bench seat in the back, and then I would have to lay like, on the floor with the hump. Remember the hump? You know, and you're like laying on the floor. It's like, what am I doing? And my mom got us these things that were called fun pads. A fun pad was black and white paper that she got at the at that time it was a dollar store now it's a dollar twenty five store, but she got us these fun pads and it was like here's a crossword puzzle here's a word find here's this and they also got us car bingo has anybody ever played or seen car bingo you can still get it on Amazon I bought some for our kids they weren't as impressed as we were but we had this was our way to make this twenty four hour trip and we're gonna do it in two days. We're gonna drive part of the way, we're gonna stay overnight at a really cheap motel, not paid for by a timeshare, and then get up the next morning, drive the rest of the way, and we were gonna have our vacation, which included a lot of timeshare things. So we drive from Milford, Delaware to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We got to Myrtle Beach, I remember it as if it was yesterday, at six o'clock in the evening to look for a hotel. They did not have Priceline, Expedia, all the different things that you could, you know, get your hotel, you know, in advance. So we showed up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to start looking for a hotel at 6 p.m. We found a motel room at midnight. I distinctly remember driving around for hours and my dad finally with a cup of coffee in his hand, the window rolled down saying, if we don't find this one, we're just sleeping in the car. Road trips are filled with good, bad, and ugly. And in that moment, I started to understand what ugly meant. There were some things about the trip that was tricky. One of those was that my parents didn't think about getting a hotel room in advance on Memorial Day weekend at a beach town. It was a Memorial Day weekend, and we're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which is one of the epicenters for Memorial Day partying and fun. And we're driving around trying to find a road trip. If you've been on a road trip, you know that there are great experiences and fun and laughing and probably some of your greatest memories could revolve around a road trip. There's the bad. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We're not out of the driveway yet, you guys, right? I'm hungry. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to go to the bathroom again. I need to go to the bathroom again. I'm hungry again. Right? There's all these different things. And then there's the ugly, which is what most of us dads need to repent of. And we won't talk about that here at all. Thank you, sir. Amen. <laughs> hey, this is a safe place. I want you to know that. If you're new, this is a safe place. But as I got to thinking about Family Sunday and family road trips, I, and I'm thinking about what I wanted to preach on Deuteronomy 6, I said, hold up. God took his family on some road trips. God took his family on several road road trips in the old testament and the video that you just watched shows one of them When you go to the book of exodus and you read exodus and leviticus and numbers and deuteronomy There's a bunch of weird stuff that goes on in some of those books But in the midst of it is this narrative. That's a 40-year road trip that god took his people on They were in the land of exile. They were in the land of egypt and they had been there for a long time And god said it's time to go that I have a land for you and I have called you to be a people and it's now time for you to take up the the identity of being the people of God and to go and live in the land of God. And God had a mission for them and he'd explained it to them. He's kind of like, we're going to go on this road trip and at the end of the road trip is the promised land and you're going to be there and you have a mission and I have a place for you to enjoy and a place for you to have life and a place for you to enjoy life and also a place for you to be a witness to me. And, And here's what Deuteronomy is. So if you follow that 40-year thing through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, here's what Deuteronomy is as a a whole. Like, you read it, and you're like, man, there's some weird stuff in that Deuteronomy. Like, what is that all about? Did your parents ever have with you, you get somewhere, you get to a friend's house, you get to the end of the road trip, you're at Disney World, and you're still in the car, and you're in the parking lot. Did your parents ever give you the before-you-get-out-of-this-car conversation? Did you ever have that? My wife's parents are here with us today. I'm going to ask them at lunch. Did you give Lynn's and, and the rest of the kids? The, now, before you get out of this car, you listen to me. You've had a conversation with your kids or something? You're all looking at me like, no, my parents had it with me regularly. So that says anything to you? It must be an East Coast thing. It's sure not a, just a me thing, right? Deuteronomy is God's before you get out of this car conversation with his people. What the the conversation would ensue At least in my life Is before you get out of this car And go into that house You're going to act right You're going to do the right things You're not going to make yourself Look like an idiot You're not going to make me Look like an idiot You're not going to do something That potentially will make us Have to take a trip to the hospital tonight Right And so when God's Got his people in the door To the promised land They're there They're in the parking lot They're in the car They're ready to get out They're ready to go into the place That is He calls a land of milk and honey He says, before you go in there, there's some things you need to know about how to get the most out of this trip. There's some things that you need to know about how to enjoy this the way that I intended for you to enjoy. And even more importantly, there are some things that you need to know as you go in there, some ways that you're to live that will cause you to be the people that I've created you to be and cause other people around you, the nations around you, to look at you and to look at me in the way that I intend them to. Because God had taken his people to that place for a reason. To represent him amongst all the nations. If you look at the uh, geography and the geopolitical situation of where God put his people in that promised land, it was the crossroads of ancient civilization. And all peoples had to go through this little place that we now call Palestine. And it was on purpose that God said, I'm going to put my people in that place so that all of the nations of the earth would understand some things about me. And as the video said, that through these people, all of the nations of the earth have the opportunity to be blessed. But... In order for that to take place there are some things you need to know There are some things you need to do before I let you go into that land and be the people that you're going to be there are some things that you need to understand that's that's Deuteronomy that's why Moses in Deuteronomy 5 restates the Ten Commandments they had already been given in Exodus but he restates them again to say like this is the crux of this covenant that God has made with you these are the rules and the laws these are the the, the guardrails that God has given to you so that you could be his people. And then in chapter 6, where we're going to land this morning, embedded in chapter 6 is the vehicle by which this whole thing was going to take place. And I want you to know that it's the family, that God could have ordained all different kinds of avenues and ways that, that, that the people of God were going to be propagated throughout the history of time. And that it was going to continue on. And what we're going to see in Deuteronomy 6 is he lays the burden at the feet of families, of moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and the family line. And I'll say this, is that we're blessed at this church, and I've said it multiple times before, that every Sunday I can look out, and I've counted at least six, and there may be more now, different families, where we have at least four generations of godly, faithful people Worshiping and serving together in other words that that a a grandkid could look in this room and see there's great-grandma and grandpa And there's grandma and grandpa and there's mom and dad and there's here's me and my siblings and multiple generations That's the way God intended faith to work and the family of faith and the people of God to work And as we look at Deuteronomy 6, that's what we're going to see is a foundation for what family discipleship looks like So what I'm going to do this morning is pretty simple We're going to look at Deuteronomy 6 We're just going to go right on through it I don't even have any notes actually written out on Deuteronomy 6 But I'm going to read through it and point some things out for us And then after we walk through that and we see that biblical foundation Then at the end, as a way of uh, application for all of us I'll give us four principles that I think we can all apply Wherever we are uh, in regard to our place in life So if you're here this morning and you're single Or you're married and you don't have kids Or your kids are gone There are things that God has in here for all of us. So let's listen attentively uh, to what he has to say. So before I get into Deuteronomy 6, I'm going to pray and ask God to bless uh, the exposition of his word. Father, it's a great privilege to stand before your people and open your word. And we are very thankful that we have this word and and your commands and your statutes and your uh, guide uh, to guide us on the, the road trip that you have us on in life. Father, I would pray for everyone in the room, uh, from the kids who are in here, the little ones to the teenagers, uh, the single young adults, the young marrieds, uh, those who are in my stage of life or just trying to figure out how to to do life at this stage, and those who are older and and grandparents and great-grandparents, God, that you would teach us from your word this morning, um, specifically as it pertains to how we as family um, do discipleship. And so as we read these verses, God, give me wisdom, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would use your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Now this is the commandment and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. No, I'm not going to stop at each verse, but I am going to stop at this verse. I want you to see that God has commandments and statutes and rules. God doesn't have ideas. God doesn't have suggestions. God doesn't have a multiple choice list. God doesn't have a, a variety of things for you to choose from. God has commandments and rules and statutes. Today we call this absolute spiritual truth. An absolute truth of any kind especially absolute spiritual truth is not something that people get really excited about because absolute truth means absolute authority an authority that's not me but one of the things that we need to discern from God's Word is that he gives commands and he gives rules and we will as people always buck against those rules in one way or another right because it's part of like who we are innately is that we will put up defenses against rules and put up defenses against commandments And what we've done today is that that we've um, made these things subjective. As opposed to them being objective and absolute, we make them relative and subjective. And we say, well, that's just one way of looking at things. But as we teach others and as we place ourselves under the authority of God's word, we need to see that there are rules and that there are commandments and it's not just good ideas or advice to live our lives by. But then in verse 2 and following, we'll see why he gives us those rules. And this is as important. In verse 2, it says that you may fear the Lord your God. That fear is reverence or respect. And we know that for any child to respect their parents is a good thing. And it's a safe thing. And it's a positive thing. As a parent loves the child and the child respects the parent, then there, there should be safety in that. It says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son. And this is a generational responsibility. We'll see it here. We'll talk more about it a little bit later. But it's a generational responsibility. He doesn't say it's going to be you and your pastor and your youth pastor and your spiritual mentor and this person and that person. But he specifically says you and your children and your grandchildren. By keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Why? Why do the rules? Why keep the rules? Why follow the rules? That the purpose, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Please hear me say this. God is a good father. God is a good father. God is not an authoritarian dictator. God wants good for his children. God is not looking to make your life miserable. God is not up there with his arms folded just waiting for you to screw up so he can come down on you and get some sick, twisted, morbid joy out of that. God doesn't have rules to hold you back or to be oppressive or to hold you down. You guys, that's what culture will tell us all the time that God's rules are oppressive, and that God's rules are intolerant, and that what we just need is to be open to everything. God is a loving Father, and I've said it, and I'll continue to say it as repeatedly as the text brings it up, that God's authority is grounded in God's love, and God's rules are grounded in God's love. And we need to see that and understand that God wants good things. Does that mean a good new sports car? I don't know, because I'm still driving a minivan, right? But God wants spiritual good for his children. He does not out to hurt us. And even here, when he lays out his rules and his laws, it's always in the context of his love for and his relationship with his children. He wants it to go well with them in this land that he's promised to them. And then verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel. This is, again, that real famous statement, that Shema, that, that prayer that they would pray multiple times each day. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I told the first service, I'll tell you this. If you can teach your kids and your grandkids one spiritual truth, only one spiritual truth, here's what it should be. There is one God, and we are not him. Okay? Let me say that one more time. There is one God, and we are not him. There is one God, and I am not him. There is one God, and my kid is not him. Because today everybody wants to be their own God Everybody wants to be their own authority Everybody wants ultimate control over their own life Nobody wants to submit to a higher authority But as we continue to see and I'll continue to say The safest place for the people of God is under the authority of God Like when I'm willing to bow myself and submit myself to the authority of God Right? That's the safest place I can be when I have rules for my kids and I have guidelines for my kids and I tell my kids, like, if you, don't, if you do this or you don't do this, it's not because I don't want them to have fun, right? When we're going for a bike ride and I say, like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to go across the crosswalk as opposed to just sending you out there and saying, good luck. It's because the cars on 94th and Meridian are kind of crazy, amen? Anybody from South Hill, please, right? I'd be a terrible parent if I'm like, ah, just figure it out. You'll be all right. I love you, Right? Yeah, the whole like don't play in traffic thing is because we love our kids, not because oh, I'm going to be oppressive and I don't want you to have any fun. Same thing. If we could teach our kids and teach ourselves there's one God and I'm not Him, and the best, most safe place for me to be is under His spiritual authority, I'm moving in the right direction. And then verse 5 gives us the command you shall love the Lord your God. Now, weird, it doesn't say you shall obey. I wonder why he doesn't lead with obey. As a parent, to me, I'm like, I'm leading with obey. You shall obey me. You can love me. I want that too. But I want you to obey. Do you lead with love or do you lead with obey? And it's interesting here that God leads with love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We must see that God leads with relationship. That I want my kids to obey me, but I want them to obey me out of a heart of love. Do you know why? That if they obey me out of a heart of love, and just like that video talked about, if our listening and obeying comes out of a heart of love, then it's going to continue past the age of 16, 17, or 18. If I lead with obey, I can make them obey for a few years, right? I can physically force them to obey i can take away things i can make them do things and i can make them if i lead with obey i can make that happen for a few years but i'm not really creating what god wanted me to create and that's why so many people take off later in life that he leads with love the lord your god with all your heart and again, as we apply these in a few minutes, some of these will become a little bit clearer. I just want to lay a, a biblical framework so that in a minute, when I give us some principles, we don't think I'm just pulling those out of nowhere. Verse seven contains a, a, a key, um, a key two-part command for us it says this you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates there's two words i want you to see in that those verses the word teach and the word talk teach is formal talk is informal i believe there's a two-pronged approach to helping us as families disciple our kids there's formal teaching whose job is that is it the pastor's job primarily in this text is it the pastor's job is it the youth pastor's job it's interesting to me by the way i was a youth pastor professionally i use that term loosely for 12 years (laughs) It's funny because they get the young guy who just got done being a teenager who's not got any experience raising teenagers and put him in charge of all the teenagers. Does that strike anybody else as weird, (laughs) right? Like, that's youth ministry. I went to college to be a youth pastor. I did it for 12 years, right? And it's it's not until later when I got my own kids and I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, That guy just got done being a teenager. At that point, I was single, and I'd never raised teenagers before. Here, here's all the kids. You'd help them figure it all out. We do things a little bit differently here, by the way. We have a great youth ministry that has people from a variety of... We have several families, then we have some younger people, and it's, it's great. We love it. But anyway, that, that's an interesting piece. When he talks about teaching there, and he says, you shall teach them diligently, that's formal. And I believe that that is parental or, or grandparents, depending on what your particular case is, right? That's family. What that's saying is, as a family, I need to have a clue as to help my kids understand some things of the Lord, formally teaching them. Now, do you need a seminary degree to do that? Do you need a Bible college degree to do that? Do you need YouTube videos to be able to do that? No. You know how it started with me as a pastor? It started with something called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Actually, before that, it was the Adventure Bible Storybook. And I, as a very little one that's up here, and I don't want to embarrass anybody... But we would go next to that little toddler bed every night and I'd get the adventure Bible story book and I'd just start and I'd read a story. I wasn't preaching a sermon. Actually, now they tell me, Dad, you're preaching again. Okay, I'm sorry, right? But I was just reading a Bible story every night. We called it redeeming bedtime, right? Running around like little squirrels or like little cats all over the place. Okay, into bed, into bed, into bed. And you know when I knew I was doing a decent job, and I, literally all I'm doing is I ordered on Amazon and I sit there and I read. And it's a kid's book. Most of us are there, right? I started reading the story Baby Moses, and this little voice started repeating Baby Moses verbatim. And I stopped reading and shut the book, and this little voice just recited the whole Baby Moses story. And I thought, I think that's in Deuteronomy 6, right? You teach your kid. Now, when I get the Jesus storybook Bible out now, and they're all teenagers, they're like, Dad, come on, really? It changes, right? Different times, different tools. And so now we use different things. But I want to encourage you as families. Like, it doesn't take this big program, and I got to get lots of curriculum, and I got to do all. No, it really, it just says, like, I want to teach my kids. And there's something like formal, and there's like, I got some sort of a plan. And that can be a storybook Bible. That can be another book about different things. In the, in the sermon supplement, I put some of my favorite resources that we've used in the past with our girls. If that's helpful to you, hopefully it will be. So he says not only to uh, teach them, but he says to talk of them. And he uses all these different scenarios. And in their day, they would use these different things, these flactories that they would tie, these little boxes that they would tie to their heads, and they would put little pieces of Scripture in. They'd tie them around their arm. These, uh, they were called mezuzahs, and they would put them on their doorposts. And it was to remind them to continually be talking about the things of the Lord. And the principle here is not to go out and get some little boxes. I mean, I'll laugh at you if you come in next week and you have that on your forehead. But I will also commend you for being that brave. But are the things of the Lord a regular topic in my household? And guys, as a pastor, like, I have to be asking that all the time, right? Like, I can study and read and pray and do all that stuff for ministry, but in my own family in my own life like when the girls come and they're like I've got this problem or I got this question or I have this thought are we using those times and those moments to like actually talk about spiritual things and so what he's talking about is like the regularity of like spiritual talk and spiritual topics verses 10 and following actually teach us another uh, important piece of this it says when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to give it to you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and you are full verses 10 and 11 talk about what it means when God prospers us when God gives us abundance how do I respond in times of prosperity how do I respond in times of abundance and just like times of poverty can be spiritual tests did you know that times of prosperity can be even greater spiritual tests that if I took a road trip with my parents in our little Plymouth Reliance station wagon and we drove for 24 hours and we got to Disney World and they opened the doors and we ran into, the, into Disney World and I said, Yeah, baby, we're here. Woohoo, party time. And mom and dad are back there like, Wait for us. And I'm like, Who are you? And I just kept right on going. There's a problem, isn't there? But how often do we treat God like that? God, please, I need this relationship fixed. God, please, I need this financial situation fixed. God, please take care of my family. God blesses and prospers us. God who? Let's go. Because God knew that spiritual amnesia would always be a problem for his people. That's why verse 12 says it like this. Then take care, lest you forget the Lord. Spiritual amnesia is always a danger. And I would say that it's more a danger in times of prosperity than it is in times of poverty. And we live in the most prosperous time and the most prosperous place in the history of the world. That all of us are more prosperous than most other people in most other parts of the world. And that prosperity can very quickly cause us to forget how we got here in the first place. Forget the God who's given us everything that we have. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Are there gods of the peoples around us today? Are there gods of the people surrounding your kids and my kids today? There are little g-gods every time we turn on the TV, every time we pick up our smartphone, every time we go to the mall, every time we do pretty much anything. They are surrounded and we are surrounded by the little g-gods of the people. What will we do lest they forget the one true God in the midst of all the false gods? And can I tell you that those gods aren't going away, they're just getting more subversive, right? They're just getting more subversive, harder for us to see. And what happens is when we're around all the little G-gods and all the people that are worshiping all the little G-gods, the gods of success and money and fame and likes and all of those things, and our kids are around that all the time, it's so much easier to forget. That's why it's so vital that we're doing it all the time. Why do you think he told him to talk about it all the time? Talk about it all the time. Our youth ministry gets an hour and a half a week Our kids ministry gets an hour and 15. And if I go long, maybe an hour and a half, right? But you have every waking moment with them when they're little. And then as they get older, that time shrinks. Take advantage of those opportunities. I want you to look down at verse 20. It says, when your son asks, your kids are gonna ask questions, amen? Kids' questions are hard, amen? You don't believe me? I'll give you a few of the ones my kids have asked No, I'm just kidding, I won't do that But kids have good questions And kids have hard questions And kids have important questions Kids will ask questions He says, when your son asks you in time to come What is the meaning of the testimonies And the statutes and the rules That the Lord our God has commanded you Here's a a modern interpretation When your kids come to you and they say Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to obey that? Why can't we watch that? Why can't we take part in that? Why can't we do this? They're going to ask questions. In that day, can you imagine the dad whose kid comes up to him and like, Dad, why can't I eat bacon? Like, my friends eat bacon. And they have pulled pork. And they have smoked pork. And I love smoked meat and bacon. And then why can't we eat it, Dad? Right? Hard questions. I'm like, I don't know. I love bacon too. Thank you, Jesus, for Acts 10. Now, somebody can say amen to that, right? Yeah, rise, Peter, kill, him barbecue. Amen. But at the end of the day, as it says here, your kid's going to ask, how do we respond? And without going through all of those verses in 21 and following, we respond with God's faithfulness. Did you know that this is a repeated refrain throughout the Pentateuch, throughout, throughout these first five books, and probably most famously in Joshua chapter 4? There's a text called the Stones of Remembrance passage. This idea of when your son asks, or when your children asks, that there will be reasons that they will ask spiritual questions, and then how you answer them. And it always comes back to God's faithfulness. One of the things that we can take rest in is this, is that we don't necessarily have to know all the answers to all the questions. For some of you, that should make you breathe a sigh of relief. It does for me. But we do have to be convinced of the faithfulness of God and keep pointing Our kids and our grandkids and other people back to God and back to God's faithfulness So I think that Deuteronomy 6 And again, I just wanted to do an overview right there That Deuteronomy 6 actually gives us a foundation, a biblical foundation For family discipleship And it says this, that the primary responsibility for our kids Isn't with the church, it's with the family And then the church plays a support role in that And we want to do the best job that we can in providing a support role in that. And so as a church, we thought we'd have Family Worship Sunday. Because when we have one Sunday like this, then you guys are all like, we we all appreciate kids ministry much more after a day like today. Amen? Yeah. Right. Woo. All right. But we have 60-some people that work over there uh, on different rounds. And we also realize that if you guys have your kids in kids ministry, which we, we say, like, that's great. We want you to do that. Kids are always welcome in the services, but we also have kids' ministry. But if you avail yourself to the kids' ministry, it could be possible for your kid to be 10 years old and have never experienced worship together as a church family. And we don't want that to be the case. Every once in a while, we want them, we believe that they should see their parents worshiping the Lord and sitting and listening to a sermon. Because maybe they're going to say, Dad, why do we sit there and listen to that guy yell? Like, it's weird and he's boring. Like, you know, and then you can say, Well, son, we need to be faithful to the Lord and just listen to him. But we value children's ministry here, and we'll continue to do our part in that. But let me, by way of application this morning, give us a couple principles that I think will be specific and come from this text and help us with that. And the first one is this, that we need to make sure with our kids that we show them before we tell them, right? This is called spiritual modeling, that leading my family means going first, That I don't tell my kids that they should be reading the Bible if they never see me reading the Bible. That I don't tell my kids that they should be praying if they never see or hear me praying. That I don't send them off to church while I stay home. That leading means going first and that we need to show them before we tell them. When it says these words must be on your heart, he's speaking to the parents and that that God's words must be on the parents' heart before they try to impart them to the kids. I can't make a disciple until I am a disciple. If that makes sense We show them before we tell them Because we say that someone who tells One thing and then shows A different thing is a hypocrite And we all know that one of the Main reasons that people leave the church And the faith is, is hypocrisy So your number one job Is to live your own faith My number one job is to live my own faith I'm in a dangerous place every Sunday morning When I stand up here And my children are right there in front of me Because God forbid that I would say things here and not live the same way at home. And then, for whatever reason, that they would equate Christianity with hypocrisy. So we model faith, we model walk with the Lord, and we model repentance. That third one's going to be the hardest, especially for us as dads, because I hate to say that I'm wrong. But one of the things that my kids need to hear me say regularly is I'm sorry, I got that wrong. That response was way over the top. I really messed up in that. I didn't trust in that. And be willing to repent, right? When we model repentance for our kids, it shows an authenticity. This is like, there's something real going on in my parents' heart, my dad's heart, my mom's heart, and my grandpa's heart. When we're willing to be vulnerable and to do that. So I encourage you to model those things, to model what the life of faith looks like. The Christian walk and spiritual disciplines. Let them see you reading your Bible. Those kinds of things. And model repentance. Number two. Oops. Mine died. You guys go to the next one for me up there. I think mine is dead. Is anybody up there? There we go. (laughs) There we go. Prioritize relationship development over behavior modification. One of the things that strikes me as I read these Is that it's lead with relationship That there's heart, that there's relationship That there's all those things And so I want you to think about this quote A well-behaved child is not the same as a well-discipled child Think about it A well-behaved child is not the same as a well-discipled child Now parents, what do you get all the kudos and the accolades for? Well-behaved or well-discipled? Your kid is so well-discipled, how do you do it? like no <laughs> right what is it usually you have the conversation in the car before you get out of this car you listen to me and then they go in and they're perfect and everybody's like your kids are so well behaved thanks they're f- they're freaked out and so yeah they're, they're doing pretty well right now <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but when we prioritize relationship and not just behavior modification relationship with the Lord and not just behavior modification here's what we're saying the the goal it's not good kids the goal is godly kids oh this is so important i read a book early on when the kids were young it's called shepherding a child's heart by ted tripp and it opened my eyes to that and he said the goal is not good kids i'm like wait a minute everything i've ever read and, and heard and thought and and you know my kids were not always like you better be godly right we're going to your grandma's house you better be godly because you better be good The goal is not good kids. The goal is godly kids, because good should come out of godly. And if we have good kids without godly kids, then after a while, guess what we're going to have? Holy terrors, right? (laughs) Right? And they're called teenagers and young adults and then older adults. And you're like, what happened there? They were really good when they were kids. Yeah, but they weren't very godly. But if we cultivate and inculcate a heart for God, a relationship with God, that as these things happen, then we work on the heart. Because all of those behaviors come out of a heart. And so I'm not just attacking the behavior, and I'm not just trying to get good behavior instead of bad behavior. I'm saying, let's talk about your heart, and where is that response coming from? And, and you know what? That's hard work. It's way easier to get a kid to be good. But it's so important that we cultivate a heart for God. And I would say be aware of any Christian parenting paradigm that focuses solely on behavior modification. They were huge in the 80s and 90s, some of them are still huge today, and they sell lots of copies. Why? Because they get good results from behavior. They get great behavior results, and then you look good as a parent, your kids look good until you get home, or until they get out of the house. But you can sell lots of copies, and you can sell lots of videos, and things like that. But if you're looking at parenting resources And it's not talking about grace and relationship And godliness and that you need to repent first And those kinds of things Just beware and be very careful And in in light of all of that We want to focus on Our kids and their heart And their relationship with God But I would also like to say this I think it's important to say this Sometimes behavior needs to be modified Right Sometimes in the grocery store Sometimes at Walmart, sometimes behavior needs to modify, be modified. It's okay to tell your kid no. It's, oh, let me, let me back up on that one. It's okay to tell your grandkids no. Oh, now I knew I was going to get some pushback on that one, right? My kids' grandkids are here, grandparents are here today. I'm going to feel it for that later. No, but some of the best things, I won't say what it was, but somebody told me I had to spank my grandson. I said, praise Jesus, Right? <laughs> Yeah, that's tough, man. You don't want to be that guy. But sometimes you gotta You got to say, hey, look, the Lord loves you, and I want you to develop a heart for him. Now let's go, right? Because sometimes behavior needs to be modified. And we do live in a culture, and I said this at the first service, and I'll just spend 30 seconds on this. But I think we live in a culture where a lot of us, a lot of people uh, experience the only behavior modification piece, be good, be good, be good, be good, or else, or else, or else, or else. And so we've swung the pendulum way over here to this side. I don't want to damage the fragile little ego or psyche and I don't want to do anything that might cause a problem Your kid has a sin nature My kids have sin nature I have a sin nature Right and sometimes we need to be willing to say no that's not okay Here are the rules and we need to modify behavior but we always do that in love That means and where you fall out on corporal punishment I could tell you where the scripture falls out on it Right it's pro But at the end of the day, like what you have to do with with your children needs to be done in love. And so for us, the handful of times that we had to spank or do something like that, it wasn't just like, hey, I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm going to blow up. There were more times that I had to put my child in the room, walk away, spend some time in prayer, and then come back and revisit the situation. And it always ended with, I love you. I care about you. I want the best for you. It wasn't just, I'm mad at you and you're being bad, so get over here and start being good prioritize relationship development with the Lord. Number three, teach them the truth. Teach them the truth. Our kids are being indoctrinated by everything. They're being indoctrinated by everyone. Please do not apologize for indoctrinating your children. I literally hear people say, well, we don't want to indoctrinate them. And I say, but everyone else is with everything else. Every time you pull up social media, indoctrination they go to school indoctrination all over the place there's indoctrination happening in other words there's the the, someone giving them a worldview somebody telling them to interpret life through a certain lens and it's our job to regularly be teaching and training and yes indoctrinating them in the truth our goal is biblical worldview like we want Biblical worldview, biblical convictions. You guys, that's, that's the thing that's gonna last when they get out of the house. And that's where, again, we as a church wanna come in and be part of that. That's why from nursery on to 10 years old on Sunday mornings, there's a curriculum that's intended to teach your kids. And there's qualified teachers in there teaching your kids. You may not know this, but they should come home with a little card at the end of the day that allow, gives you some things to talk to them about, about their Bible story and their Bible lesson. Awana is all about memorizing verses because we want God's word to be hidden in their heart so that it comes out. And that's why we do Awana. Our youth ministry is not play games, have pizza, and here's a little devotion. It's good time in God's word and good time talking about Christian ethics and Christian worldview and all those kind of things for our teenagers because it matters and it's important, but it's important for all of us to, to teach the truth together. And then finally, number four, please welcome their questions. I can't tell you how many teenagers who I've talked to or young adults I've talked to who have walked away from the faith because their parents and spiritual leaders got afraid of their questions and then just blew them off. That they got attacked for having a question. Well, how do we know there's any such thing as God? Or I'm not sure about that. Or what about this? Let kids ask questions. Like if you don't provide a safe place and I don't provide a safe place for them to ask those questions and to be able to spiritually search. And by the way, you realize that like... When they're asking those questions, they're not just asking those questions. It's like when they push the boundaries for you, what are they saying? Are they saying, I don't like you and I don't like your boundaries? They're saying, am I safe? Am I safe? Is this boundary gonna really hold up against the weight? This is the same thing. You don't have to have all the answers, I don't have all the answers, but we can pursue answers together. I want homes and church to be a place where kids can ask questions and, and have their questions like welcomed and validated, and an answer salt together. So again, all of these are, are principles that I think as you look, wherever you're at in your stage of life, you can probably apply them from God's word.